You're listening to Wilderness Times, a podcast exploring the intersection of faith and justice, brought to you by Resistance Church and Jubilee United Church in Toronto. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Wilderness Times, released on Wednesday, October 26, 2022. My name is Brianne Swan, and in partnership with Norm Seeley, I am one of the called ministers at Jubilee United Church in Toronto. I also serve the Resistance Church community, one of Jubilee's digital ministries. Jubilee United Church, as perhaps the name implies, is a congregation within the United Church of Canada— And up until now on this podcast, we've not really focused on anything particularly specific to the United Church, or even really Canada for that matter. But this week, I will be joined by my friend and colleague and one of my very favorite theologians, the Reverend Daniel Hayward. Dan will introduce himself more fully later in the episode, but I was particularly interested in bringing Dan on the podcast because of his involvement with the United Church of Canada's Theology and Interchurch Interfaith Committee and the work that they have done over the years in relation to medical assistance in dying. Medical assistance in dying is illegal in all but 11 states in the U.S. In Canada, however, medical assistance in dying, or MADE, is legal within certain parameters— And these parameters have been expanded in recent years. In fact, Canada has the most permissible medical assistance in dying laws in the entire world. The aim of medical assistance in dying is to alleviate suffering and was originally offered to people whose death was, quote, reasonably foreseeable. When my own father was dying a couple of years ago, it was an immense relief for him to know that MAID was available if his pain became too much to bear. Now the rules outlining who can access MAID have expanded to include those with grievous and irremediable medical conditions. And this includes some with disabilities where death is not foreseeable. Within the next six months, access to MAID will also expand to those who suffer from mental illnesses. Alarmingly, with this expanded criteria, there are increasing reports of disabled people accessing MAID not because they wish to die, but because they cannot afford to live. I will link a number of these reports in our show notes. In one of these news articles, a woman who has a chronic illness that could be controlled if she had access to safe and chemical-free housing was granted medical assistance in dying after she was unable to secure housing that she could afford. There are many other examples, too, those living with disability and in poverty who feel that the only option to relieve their suffering is medical assistance in dying because they cannot access safe, affordable housing or the supports they need to live. 
it is all very distressing. And so, who did I call? I called Dan Hayward. I wanted to talk to Dan and hear about the work the United Church of Canada has done on this topic, much of it under Dan's leadership. You will hear us chat about disability justice and the United Church of Canada's statements on medical assistance in dying, as well as some thoughts about Christian ethics, balancing the rights of the individual against the welfare of the collective. It is a lot to take in, but hopefully we can do it together. Our Bible Bites segment this episode is brought to you by Landon Hammett from South Carolina. And we will also hear music from Amori. But first, to start us off, we have Timber Choir and their title track from their 2021 EP, Come and Go. You can find links to Timber Choir and their music by going to our show notes. could sit in this chair for a thousand years and watch the woods consume the neighborhood watch the ambitions come and go surround me and engulf me we could ditch the tv and spend a little more time reading books and singing songs on the porch sit here watching the daylight wane leaving and even less memory I just want to be still I just want to be Sometimes I wonder if I'll ever be free of these things that are weighing heavy on me They keep me from doing or going or knowing The sun comes up, I go back to sleep In our so-called liberation of self we have only bound the shackles more tightly Free up your mind and start thinking a good thought Free your mind and be still Free your mind and be still Free up to this point it will carry us far beyond it until we are nothing sometimes i feel like we're just words on a page close your eyes and be still close your eyes and be still Close your 
So thank you so much, Dan, for joining me today on Wilderness Times. It's really, really great to have you. I'm wondering if you could just describe your your role with the church and your involvement with with sort of the issue around medical assistance in dying. So currently I'm on uh, regional staff for the Naganaga region, which covers most of Quebec. But prior to that, I was the chair of the Theology and Interchurch Interfaith Committee, which is the church's elected committee responsible, as the name indicates, for theological questions from the General Council, our highest decision-making body, and um, interfaith and ecumenical relations. And so the Theology and Interchurch and Interfaith Committee was the body of the church that was um, examining medical assistance and dying, as it does many other issues. What, like, yeah. what does it mean when the United Church, for example, takes a position on a given issue? Like, what is that process? So I think a lot of people think that when we say something that is binding on all members of the church, that, um, oh, you don't belong anymore if you differ with the what the committee said about issue X, but it is really um, an attempt to speak to the church and provoke questioning and thinking about uh, issues and to try to bring our Christian perspective and out of our unique Canadian tradition uh, to the issues of the day. So the um, Theology and Church Interfaith Committee during my time uh, wrote about theologies of disabilities. We uh, wrote an apology for the church's role in forced and coerced adoptions. We have... uh, um, looked at uh, dialogue with the, um, we've ongoing, had ongoing dialogues with the Roman Catholic and Anglican churches exploring different ecumenical topics. And we're part of uh, negotiating two agreements with our partner churches in the United States. Uh, and this does not uh, require anybody in the United Church to do, to uh, I believe that uh, they need to do anything, but I'm hoping that our work on forced and coerced adoptions informed the public debate and brought light to this issue, which uh, uh, made a uh, great impact in the lives of so many women and their uh, uh, children in from the 1940s onwards. And so relating to medical assistance in dying, how was the Theology and Interchurch and Interfaith Committee involved in that? How did that come to be a topic that uh, was discussed by the committee? So it received a uh, direction from the General Council Executive, which is the group that meets between general councils, which are every three years. Well, not lately because of the pandemic, but anyway, the uh, the executive that meets in the in-between time Uh, asking it to look into the issue. In 2015, there was a major decision by the Supreme Court of Canada, the Carter case, which uh, struck down the provision in the criminal code to allow physicians to be charged with a criminal offense if they participated in what was then called physician-assisted dying. A patient who was at the end of their life requested assistance in ending their life. 
This required the federal government to prepare legislation for to allow medical assistance in dying in Canada, uh, and that uh, legislation was uh, passed in um, 2016. Uh, prior to that, we were asked by the General Counsel Executive to look at this issue and prepare a uh, statement for the Church uh, to examine it, and that uh, was released after the legislation was passed by Parliament, but uh, we also did one in 2000. 2020, after the um, there's amendments to the um, uh, the criminal code uh, to uh, look at other areas of the uh, medical assistance and dying regime in Canada, so we prepared a subsequent statement that year, mm-hmm. and it may come up again because there are now an expert panel and a uh, special parliamentary uh, committee looking at uh, further changes to medical assistance in dying which will be reporting to Parliament this fall. In 2020, the United Church uh, General Council Executive adopted some of the recommendations of the Theology and Interchurch, or Interchurch Interfaith Committee. Um, And that the recommendations were that the criteria for foreseeable death for medical assistance in dying be maintained, that ending suffering due to mental illness not be a category for MAID, and that the Church advocate for increased mental health resources, that advanced directives in relation to MAID not be permitted, and that for mature minors, capacity to make a decision for MAID be judged on a case-by-case basis by medical professionals in consultation with family, and with community. And one of the things I'm wondering is, what was the response from just the people in the pews, you know, just the regular, ordinary United Church folks to that recommendation or that decision? So to give some context, so in 2016, medical assistance in dying uh, in Canada was enabled by the uh, passage of the legislation in Parliament. Mm -hmm. Uh, it then there was a decision by the Superior Court of Quebec in 2019 which struck down the requirement in the legislation that anyone seeking medical assistance in dying be facing um, what the federal legislation called a reasonably foreseeable natural death. The Quebec legislation called it the end of life. So this required the federal government to make changes to the um, um, the legislative framework, and also uh, at the same time they considered uh, other questions such as the um, the use of advanced directives. So you could say in advance that you want medical assistance in dying should you be unable to consent to that in the future. Um, whether or not uh, uh, medical assistance in dying should be permitted for mature minors, so people under the age of 18, uh, and whether uh, people should be who uh, are diagnosed with a, a mental health disorder um, be permitted to seek uh, medical assistance in dying. So we considered all that in the 2020 statement. The federal government allowed some of these in the um, the uh, legislation that was subsequently passed, uh, but not all of them. Um, what were the ones that were allowed, and what was were the ones that were not? So the reasonably, the criterion of reasonably foreseeable natural death was removed. This was a requirement of the Superior Court of Quebec decision. Advanced directives were permitted in a limited sense 
if you have already requested medical assistance in dying and are at the end of your life, um, you can uh, uh, have a directive stating that that will be carried out even if you are unable to give final consent. It does not allow a person to request years in advance, for instance, to request medical assistance in dying should they suffer from a certain condition or be unable to consent when the time comes. So advanced directives, the way most people think of them, were not permitted. The age of consent is being considered uh, by the um, Special Joint Parliamentary Committee and will report to Parliament um, um, later this year. And the question of mental of people uh, diagnosed with a mental illness, that will become legal in 2023 under a provision of the legislation. Mm-hmm. So the reaction to that. So I, well, I guess even before we get into that, like what was what were, and I'm going to link to the actual documents in the show notes of this episode. But what were the concerns of the committee around some of these more expansive um, criteria? So if we go back to the original statement. Mm-hmm. Um, our theological basis begins as we did the work on theologies of disabilities with the scriptural truth that uh, humans are created in God's image. When your theology starts with this, as Christian uh, viewpoints do, uh, this requires you in your ethical thinking to hold a number of things in tension. Humans being created in God's image and uh, in tension with what are the limits of uh, our thinking and our actions in terms of ending life? Is there, does the fact that all humans are created in God's image mean a blanket prohibition on ending all life? Which is true for if some Christian ethicists hold that position. Mm-hmm. Most of what... Um, we would think of as mainstream churches do limit that. They have concepts of warfare, for instance, that allow for the ending of the lives of aggressors in warfare in order to protect the people who are the subjects of that aggression. So a Christian ethicist might say, for instance, that combat against the Russians in Ukraine, who are the aggressors, is is permitted because to do so protects the lives of Ukrainian civilians. Uh, This was the position the United Church of Canada held in both world wars, for instance. Um, So is it permitted to end someone's life through medical assistance in dying? Uh, The United Church of Canada, by adopting the report that we um, uh, wrote, says that this is permitted if it is that ending a life of suffering is permitted if it is the free and informed choice of an, in, of an individual taken in relationship with their family, uh, spiritual advisors, and their physicians. Um, this is another tension. The legislation only speaks of individual autonomy. As Christians, we hold individuals in tension with our responsibilities to the community and the role that our lives are lived in, 
the, the fact that our lives are lived in community. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is a tension that shows up in the report. We also have the tension of um, our, our theology uh, living in tension with the fact that lives are our lives are messy. I don't think anybody listening to the podcast is going to argue with that these days. Uh, and the tension between what theology says and how absolute statements work out less absolutely in people's lives. Um, this is the tensions that all Christ- tension that all Christians feel trying to translate the words of Jesus uh, into how they live day to day. Mm-hmm. What does it mean to do, uh, look at the Sermon on the Mount and uh, statements like "Blessed are the meek," "Blessed are the peacemakers"? Uh, uh, Jesus' words about adultery and th- um, uh, uh, living uh, uh, in relationship with people—all these things that we think of when we think of his words—try uh, to translate those into our daily lives. So this. Uh, idea that um, absolute statements are less useful in a complicated issue like medical assistance in dying uh, uh, shows up in uh, uh, our role as a church, as uh, spiritual uh, leaders and advisors uh, to help people work through these questions. Mm -hmm. Uh, But this Parts of the what we have to say are taken as absolute by people who then push back. There is a powerful constituency in the United Church of Canada in favor of medical assistance in dying before it became legal in Canada. A lot of the people involved in the movement for it were United Church people, particularly in British Columbia, which is where the original court cases uh, uh, came from, wending their way through the courts. Uh, and I think this is a tension we have between uh, people who favor medical assistance in dying and those who may, fav- may f- uh, favor it being an option for people but are concerned about, as our report says, uh, coercion of disabled people and um, uh, elderly people and others into choosing this when it is not the choice that they may have made without uh, 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 pressure. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing increasing media reports about this as well. People who are, um, and I, 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 I would say seeking medical assistance in dying, but wouldn't necessarily be, they're not so much seeking to die as they are seeking to and suffering, and those feel very, very different. People living with disability, and people living in poverty too, and and often, of course, there's there's overlap and intersection often with with those things. And in these media reports that people with disability and people who are living in poverty are accessing, made or trying to end their lives and stuff, that it. It's almost being spoken about as if this wasn't a, a foreseeable consequence of the of the legislation, and I'm I'm wondering what the committee and what you you thought like as you were discussing this w- were these situations things that were thought about 
about how this was going to impact people with disabilities and other vulnerabilities. Yeah, well, I think this was foreseeable. I think all of us would like medical assistance in dying to be what the original vision of it was. I think people have a concept that this will be um, people in full possession of uh, all of their faculties making this choice and uh, uh, just uh, slipping away quietly surrounded by family and friends, uh, whether at at home or uh, in a uh, a hospice. Uh, And this is an ideal that uh, uh, we... uh, hold on to but as as you've said the reality for many disabled people now and people with uh, mental illness is that uh, uh, they feel that uh, medical assistance in dying is now their only option uh, in a society which does not offer them supports Uh, uh, here in Ontario the Ontario Disability Support Program uh, had a mo- small increase this year, but is uh, nowhere near what people need to actually live on, uh, given the uh, the inflation we are experiencing and rising rising costs for housing, and food and transportation. Uh, this is frequently spoken of in the uh, um, the reports of people who are choosing medical assistance and dying rather than try to keep on mm-hmm. uh, living as disabled people. Uh, and uh, in an in an environment where their uh, needs are not being met, this was spoken of in the original report, and particularly in regard in the subsequent report, in regards to removing the criterion of reasonably foreseeable natural death, uh, allowing um, this to st- uh, the superior court decision uh, to stand that removed the end of life criterion means that expanding medical assistance in dying is not only for those who are dying, but for those who have a disability. It sends the message to disabled people that the society does not need them, their gifts are not valued, their lives Mm -hmm. are not of value. And it removes the free and informed choice that the church holds up as necessary for ethical medical assistance in dying. But um, this doesn't mean that the majority of Medical assistance in dying cases in Canada are the now up to 10,000 a year are not being carried out in free and informed choice, but we're seeing more and more that this is becoming a, uh, a great ethical hazard mm-hmm. uh, that people are uh, now choosing it with the amended legislation to uh, um, end their lives when they are not dying, but they are not being supported in our society. So Canada's made legislation is, at this point, the most permissive in the world. It's more permissive than Belgium or the Netherlands. Why do you think that is? Well, because with a lot of legislative choices, they are partially because it's driven by court decisions. This is attention we have in our parliamentary system, and it's often a good one in the courts correcting um, government overreach. In this case, the medical assistance in dying regime is constructed to respond to the Supreme Court of Canada decision in the Carter case, 
which forced an amendment to the criminal code and subsequently to the Superior Court of Quebec decision in the Truchon case, which removed the requirement that people choosing medical assistance and dying uh, be at the end of their lives. And there is a, a, a constituency in Canada which favors us having an extremely um, permissive regime for medical mm-hmm. assistance and dying. I'm not using regime as a in the negative sense here. It's the, the, the extremely pre- permissive structure for medical assistance in dying. Dying with dignity and other uh, Canadian groups have been um, campaigning for years for and would like it to be even more permissive and allowing mature minors and uh, and uh, to choose it for instance yeah so as i was reading some of the reports that were coming out in the summer and, and more recently uh, about people with who are living with disability being um, either offered medical assistance in dying or seeing it as the only way sort of out of their their current situation it was reminding me of like examples in in literature like Charles Dickens a Christmas Carol like if they had better die then they'd better do it and decrease the surplus population or um, a book that was really formative to me when my in my when I was 11 or 12 the giver where they talk about releasing um, people with disability or people who are too old or whatever and um, and it it frightens me that this is the direction that, that it is as a society as a system as a a, a country, um, it is becoming easier to simply go, well, people have access to to end their life um, rather than investing in better mental health supports or poverty supports or supports for people with disability, which always leads me back to questions around, well, what role does the church have or Christians have in shifting a society to some, someone that is, what, that is more compassionate or more um, in, in line with, I mean, what is a Christian value? <laughs> I guess that's up for, for debate. But what, so what role do you see the church, the United Church Christians having in sort of this broader narrative around uh, how medical assistance in dying is is being accessed and by who and for what reasons well disabled people are used to able people calling for our uh, our deaths over issues from ranging from mask wearing and vaccination to uh, the what should be the mundane issue of plastic straws that became a uh, a great uh, cause celeb a few um, summers ago and, you know, we said that uh, rather than uh, expand medical assistance nine to cover people with mental illness, why do we not do a better job at supporting people with, and, uh, with mental illness? Uh, so the church has said this, but how does that uh, work out into any kind of pressure on governments to do so? At a time when healthcare budget, well, healthcare budgets are always under pressure, but uh, mm-hmm. even more so these days, that uh, uh, hospitals uh, across the country are full and uh, um, intensive care beds are uh, are not available. We said in the original report that uh, medical assistance in dying cannot be seen as a way to 
bring down health costs. And then uh, when the uh, legislation was before the Senate, a senator asked for a cost estimate of how much medical assistance in dying could bring down health costs, which the Parliamentary Budget Office produced. So now we know how much money we could save by expanding medical assistance in dying to as many disabled people as possible. Which which should frighten people. Yes. But it, but it doesn't. <laughs> I mean, people can't see my... I mean, it frightens mm-hmm. me. I'm sure it frightens a lot of people. But there's being frightened mm-hmm. and there's... I don't like feeling frightened and then going, oh, well, I guess I'm just scared and then um, letting it go. There's always the dilemma that I experience about, you know, what is the... What is the doing? And sometimes it's not. I mean, there are situations where it's a listening rather than a doing. But it feels like such a like a symptom of a very big problem that has been, that is not new to people who have been living with disability and living in poverty and living with mental illness and stuff. So, yeah. And I'm not sure we have a a lot of support from people in the church. I think for a lot of people, this is a simple issue. It's medical assistance in dying or no medical assistance in dying. Mm. And people want medical assistance in dying. Yeah, people uh, don't like their individual agency being infringed yeah. upon. Uh, this is particularly true for people well, I was born in 1962, so people a little older than me um, who are thinking now having to think about these uh, choices in life. Uh, but it's a uh, it's a complicated issue. I think we've tried to arrive at a uh, position that is not either or. It is medical assistance in dying is ethically permissible for Christians. Uh, and well, even if it wasn't, I know that uh, uh, clergy would be working with people in their congregations who uh, uh, are looking at this and trying to be as supportive and. Uh, as uh, pastoral as possible. Uh, But we have arrived at a position that medical assistance in dying, the free and informed choice of medical assistance in dying is is ethically permissible for Christians, but forced or coerced medical assistance in dying is not. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it tends to be seen in either or terms. I think people also think that if the government changed and another party was in power that medical assistance in dying would be taken away completely which makes them want to hold on to the system that's in place even if it can be abused even if disabled people are going to die under it mm-hmm. even if it's going to be seen as a way to uh, decrease health care costs right. even if it's going to be expanded further to uh, people under the age of 18 People and people with mental illness. One thing that the rep- the original report tried to encourage, as the United Churches in particular, with our reputation for being places where things can be talked through, and uh, and studied, uh, you know how many book groups and Bible studies and um, um, kind of uh, salons are being held in United Churches across mm-hmm. the country, looking at everything from. Uh, indigenous justice to uh, uh, mining to um, other issues. Uh, 
we really need to create a culture where United Churches are safe places to talk about death and dying. After all, we have an entire theology that revolves around a God who died on a cross, which we talk about on Good Friday, and then death becomes a topic that nobody wants to deal with again until it comes around again the next year. Very Uh, taboo. Yeah. So, and well, like that's partially because our society likes to confine death to funerals and then not bring it up again. You know, who's who? Uh, who has been in a, a group that uh, where the name of a deceased relative comes up, and everybody's just kind of, oh, maybe we shouldn't say that because they're the widow is in the room or whoever who's actually probably really waiting for somebody to recognize that they have gone through a traumatic experience and to remember their loved one. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, death becomes a taboo topic, but United Churches should be a safe place for people to talk about end-of-life concerns. Do, we, um, palli- uh, uh, do people really explore advanced care planning? Do they talk about, advanced c- do they talk about uh, palliative care? Do they talk about um, hospice? Do they talk about medical assistance in dying? Do they even talk about who should be my substitute decision-maker? When I'm in the hospital, um, uh, not everybody expires nicely at home. Uh, it's uh, you know the Victorian ideal of uh, just coughing and passing away in the next uh, <laughs> uh, moment that uh, was held up in literature for uh, the last 150 years. That's how people are supposed to die. We have an idea of the good death, which rarely works out in practice, but we don't mm-hmm. talk about it in advance. We have a whole, we have an hour every Sunday morning to talk about these things. We have evenings, we have daytimes, we have Zoom calls to talk about these things. And I think this is really actually countercultural because our society is determined not to talk about it. Right. Right. And in Resistance Church, we, we talk about that, uh, uh, the, the idea that when church functions in a healthy way, in an open way, in an authentic way, it is actually countercultural that these, these topics that we try to shy away from in the rest of society or the ways of being that we kind of shy away from in, in the rest of society. When church functions, well, that's how we work, you know, working in community where the collective is just as or perhaps even more important than the individual and that individual rights and freedoms and stuff have impacts for the collective. Um, And there's obligation as well to the collective. I think that now we see that um, more than we did in the past, that issues of justice for disabled people are more interconnected to our work as the church than we have recognized previously. This is partially because of the composition of our communities of faith now. We have uh, uh, more older people. Disability is a spectrum. There's no, our Theologies of Disabilities report, which is a completely different report that the committee did um, and that the church adopted at the General Council in Cornerbrook. Newfoundland and Labrador um, says there is not a there's not a dividing line between disabled and normal 
that is the thinking of an old model of uh, disability that uh, disabled people themselves have largely rejected. There's a spectrum of disability, and, uh, and disability is also elastic. People move down the spectrum and mm-hmm. become disabled when they fall and break a leg, or they have a condition that uh, subsequently is corrected through surgery or an accommodation, and they move um, uh, into a different spot on the spectrum, but all of us are on the spectrum of disability, uh, and we have more people moving down the spectrum of disability as, as our uh, ch- uh, communities of faith become uh, older, so that we are hearing more and more about um, issues like physical accessibility um, uh, and barriers that are not just physical. Um, a church can uh, make great efforts to put in a ramp or a, st- a chairlift and continue to preach a message which is uh, harmful to uh, disabled people who are hearing it or seeing it. Uh, uh, communities can continue to, uh, faith can continue to exclude people with certain disabilities while accommodating others. Uh, this is coming more and more to the, uh, the forefront, I think, as... Uh, uh, in the last uh, few years, uh, medical assistance in dying is a, di- is a disability issue, uh, particularly since the amendments which have removed the uh, criterion of reasonable, reasonably foreseeable natural death. Uh, even though people within the United Church have said uh, to disabled people, this is not a disability issue, you need to be silent on this, uh, this question. But uh, straws are a disability issue. Uh, As we've seen in the news the last few days, singling out candidates for political office because they need an accommodation for a disability. Uh, This took place in another country, but it's all over the news. Uh, Is a disability issue. Transportation is a disability issue. The fact that uh, disa- uh, disabled people who use wheelchairs are terrified to fly because we just have uh, no idea if our wheelchair or our walker is going to survive in one piece to get at the other end and be usable because airlines uh, uh, break them constantly with no repercussions. We n- we have seen because of this medical assistance in dying um, issue that... Uh, uh, income support is a disability issue, as is the cost of food, as is the cost of housing. These are issues that the uh, the church, uh, uh, with its seeking the welfare of the city, cannot remain silent on. And again, it becomes countercultural because a lot of the message that society sends is uh, ableist and is uh, uh, sees uh, the interests of disabled people as uh, uh, nonsensical or as uh, something that only applies to a tiny minority and is not worth uh, uh, engaging. Or we have already done enough, which I quite frequently hear. Mm. Or is inconveniencing the minority, inconveniencing the majority. It's time for Bible Bites. Hi, this is Landon Hammett from South Carolina. 
reading our scripture today from Chicago, actually. It's from Jeremiah, chapter 29, verse 7. It reads, Promote the welfare of the city, where I have sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because your future depends on its welfare. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. So the connection to these questions probably is not uh, obvious for this. I came across it. It's in the um, uh, Anglican Church of Canada's testimony to the Special uh, Joint Parliamentary Committee, which was considering the original medical assistance in dying legislation as one of those things where I'm like, oh, I wish I'd thought of that one first. Now I can't use it. But uh, I'm using it here because um, this quote from the prophet Jeremiah reminds me of, um, well, quite a few things. I think it speaks to the way that we live as Christians today in a uh, uh, culture that, uh, well, our colonial um, settler culture in Canada is um, uh, as largely Christian in its roots, but... uh, uh, less so in its practice uh, in 2022, but that uh, the passage speaks to that. And speaking of people being in exiles as Christians, we are uh, strangers and uh, uh, wanderers on the earth. Our uh, true citizenship is um, elsewhere, but we are part of the city. I'm taking city here in the wider sense, the uh, the wider community, the nation, uh, and in this city, this nation. We may be Christians, a certain kind of Christian. There are lots of Christians who are not Christians in the same way we are. There are lots of Canadians who are not uh, uh, Christian at all. Not everyone is like us, and no, nor should they be like us. Nor do we expect that the wider community outside the church has the same perspective, the same faith perspective or any faith perspective to bring to these debates or to um, uh, crafting uh, legislation, nor are we within the United Church of one perspective on these um, these issues. I think if you surveyed people in any United Church community, you would find, as I said, a range of opinions uh, on medical assistance and dying. But in the context of the city, this uh, uh, city or nation uh, where we have been sent into exile, where we have our um, earthly home, we have a duty to uh, um, the original um, Anglican um, testimony said we have a duty to care about, to pray for, to live in harmony with, and to act with respect to all others on the basis of their inherent Uh, human dignity and worth. This shows up in our statement on medical assistance and dying, uh, in our language about all humans are created in the image of God. It shows up in our statement on um, uh, disability justice. Uh, And this extends to the ways that we offer spiritual care to everyone who calls upon us. Anyone can walk into, uh, I hope we have an environment where anyone can walk into a United Church community of faith 
and ask questions and speak about uh, uh, their own experience and hear about the experiences of those that they uh, speak to. Uh, and our understanding of the duty of care for all extends to all people, whether or not they come from our faith tradition, the United Church, a similar faith tradition, or no faith, or a completely different faith tradition, or no faith tradition at all. Mm-hmm. Those who support the choice of medical assistance in dying, those who do not support that choice. Uh, I think the, that scripture quote speaks to all of that and to our questioning, our, the answers that we come up with, partial and imperfect as, as, as they may be. Uh, I think it speaks to... Uh, uh, that as well, that we're trying not to deal in theological absolutes here, but in real exploration with people of the choices they make about the ends of their lives and those needing to be free and informed choices. That is how we seek the welfare of the city. We can apply that to lots of other issues, but I think it uh, it speaks to me particularly in the context of this um issue of uh, medical assistance in dying. Thank you very much for joining me, Dan. It was really great to have you with us. I love being with Resistance Church, so uh, <laughs> keep, keep resisting. <laughs> keep resisting.
That was Amori and her song River from her album In Faith. As always, you can find links to Amori's music by going to our show notes. Now, I recorded this conversation with Dan on the afternoon of October 14th, and at that time, I had no idea that our friends at Lawrence Park Community Church were also releasing a two-part podcast about medical assistance in dying. Their podcast is called The Rooster Crows. Now, Lawrence Park Community Church is another United Church congregation just down the road from Jubilee United Church. They are our friends on Lawrence Avenue. And so in our show notes at wildernesstimes.ca, I have also linked to The Rooster Crows podcast so you can hear Reverend Roberta Howie's conversations with Ann Simmons, Heather Morgan, Susan Desjardins, and Janice Craig. If you are looking for more conversation about MAID, I encourage you to search for the Rooster Crows wherever you listen to podcasts. Wilderness Times and Resistance Church are part of the digital ministry of Jubilee United Church. We are committed to continuing offering opportunities for spiritual engagement in digital spaces in the long term, but we need your help. Please consider a donation as an investment in this ministry. You can find our donations page by going to wildernesstimes.ca donate. From there, you can choose Wilderness Times from the drop-down menu. Whether you donate once or sign up for a monthly contribution, we are very, very grateful for your support.
Thank you so much for joining us this week. We will be back next week with more music, more conversation, and hopefully you. But until then, take care of yourselves and each other in these wilderness times. We'll see you soon. Wilderness Times and Resistance Church are ministries of Jubilee United Church, which is an affirming ministry of the United Church of Canada. You can find links to Jubilee, Resistance Church, as well as a full transcript of this episode by going to our show notes at wildernesstimes.ca.